Well, okay. Uh, Easter, we announced a brand new series, actually I did, called All Things New. And so we began looking at the just encounters and conversations that Jesus Christ had with people. And he offered them, an, well, an offer that they could not refuse. He offered them a fresh start. He offered them a new life. Last week, we looked at the life of Nicodemus, a religious man, a man that, that, that was a devout uh, a, a devout. Um, a Pharisee that, that he had memorized all the first five books of the Bible. He went to church every week. He fasted two times a week. He tied 10% of his income. I mean, he was devout. And Jesus had a conversation with him and spoke into his life and told him, yeah, but you need to be born again. You need to have a relationship with me. You cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot earn your way to heaven. It is not about a religion, but it's about a relationship with me. And he offers Nicodemus this fresh start, just this new life. I mean, there's something about us, right? We all wish sometimes we could, we could go to the land of beginning again. Or we just wish maybe we could have a, a fresh start. Uh, that plays out a lot in sports. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, and you know what? We would like a fresh start with a new owner. <laughs> we just won. And maybe from the Bronco fans, maybe Raheem Moore uh, would like a fresh start. Uh, or one play over against the Ravens last year, right? When he let a receiver get behind him and went to overtime and everything else that went with that. But maybe you're the type of person to say, you know what, I'd like a fresh start. Maybe it was a decision that you made. Maybe it was a choice that you made. Maybe it was a season of your life that you made. That you would say, you know what, I'd love to be able just to begin again. I would love to be able just to have this fresh start. And it happens a lot in business, right? Uh, there was a man, a co-founder of Apple, started, or started Apple with, with Steve Jobs. And after a couple of years, he got upset he left, he sold his stock for $2,700. Yeah, if he still had that stock today, it'd be worth over $10 million. And he would like to say, you know what? I'd like a fresh start. I'd like to begin again. And then I meet believers. And some believers, it, it's like they no longer have passion in life. They're no longer excited. Listen, never, nothing ever great was accomplished without passion. And so I meet a lot of believers, and you know what? Even though they're followers of Christ, it's like they have no excitement in their life. It's like they have no passion. They're just, they're just weighted down by some things, and it's just like they're, they're gutting through life. They're just going to suck it up and get through it in the hope of eternal life. And Jesus never intended the Christian life to be like that. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said this. He says, he says the thief comes. The, key, the thief comes to kill and, and, and steal and destroy. In other words, to steal your joy, to steal your passion, to steal your dreams. He says, so the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I come that you may have life. And then, and then he, he, he overemphasized that in the Greek whenever something is duplicated or said more than once or repeated. It's for emphasis. He says, but I come. Jesus Christ says, but I come so that you may have life and that you may have that life more abundantly. In other words, that you're just not gutting through life and you're just not sucking it up and just trying to gut through it. But there's great freedom and there's great passion in your life. See, life was never intended to be something we just tolerate, that we just kind of suffer through. It is something that we can have passion, we can have enthusiasm. And so, so when you start talking about this with people, people say, okay, so, so where do you get that enthusiasm? Where do you get that passion It just lives on? Because some people will tell you, you know what, you get it from success, or you get it from pleasures, or you get it from accomplishments. Some people will say, well, you know what, it's from self-help books or self-help seminars, or it's from vacations or whatever. It's from positive thinking. 
But we know, if you've lived long enough, you know all of that doesn't work. And everything that this world has to offer, it always will leave you wanting more. In Jesus' words, it will leave you thirsty. It may quench your thirst for a period or for a season. But there's just something about life. There's something about what this life has to offer that it will not quench your thirst. And so when you start asking yourself that question, well, where do you get this enthusiasm? You see the, the English word enthusiasm comes from a compound Greek word, in theos, which simply means this, in God. That Jesus Christ says the way that we get passion, the way that we get enthusiasm in life, is through a relationship with him. So in John chapter 3 that we looked at last week, Jesus deals with a religious man. He talks to a religious man. And now we're going to look at when he deals in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn there. And he begins talking to a, a woman who is not morally pure. She's an immoral woman. And he has a conversation, and he offers her a fresh start. He offers her a life of passion. He offers her a life of enthusiasm. And what's so interesting, he speaks to her differently than he speaks to the religious guy. So just three things I want you to understand about Jesus this morning in our time together, and I'll give them to you, and then we'll go back and we'll unpack them. That Jesus, Jesus seeks, he saves, he satisfies. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, when you look at the Gospels, when you look at Scripture, you find over and over and over when he had encounters with people, he would seek, he would save, and he would satisfy. Now, there's several, several factors that goes into this lady's life, this Samaritan woman, uh, that, 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 that caused her, if you will, just to have a, a difficult life or an, or, a, or an empty life, if you will. You see, in our time and the times that we live in, it's kind of hard to understand the way that women were looked at in the first century. See, in our time of liberation, it's sometimes it's hard for us to look back to a culture and understand things were not so in that culture. Things were not like they are today in our culture. You see, in the, in the first century, there was, a, there was huge prejudice against women. Fact is, in the first century, women were degraded. Women were really for the convenience of man. Fact is, when you start studying Jewish law, the Jewish rabbis would not speak to a woman in public, and that included his sister and his wife. It's kind of hard for us to grab a culture like that. The closest maybe I've ever gotten to that is before ministry I was in engineering and in the early 90s uh, I was sent by my engineering company sent me and another engineer and we went to Japan. And so we're in some of our initial business meetings and we're in a conference room in an office there in Japan and I started noticing something. It was just so strange to me. It was just so foreign to me that, that women would come to the door of the conference room and the conference room was filled with men it should pause. And she had to wait until a man caught her eye, turned, and he would have to bow to her, and she would bow to him, and then she could come in. In other words, she had to get per women had to get permission to enter a room. I, I, I was on an elevator. It was all men. And the doors opened. We stopped at a floor. And again, that same thing happened. She could not, without being invited, she could not step onto the elevator 
until a man gave her permission. And after that trip, I came home and started telling my wife what goes on in Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she said, that's not happening here. So, 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 I, I just, so I want you to grab and understand the culture, understand the prejudice against women, understand how, so that you can understand the depths and the gravity of the story when Jesus starts talking to this woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 1, we're just going to read through this, we're going to pull, these, we're going to pull these, these principles out together. So verse 1, now when Jesus uh, learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, and near, that, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now listen, that's the heat of the day. Nobody went to the well in the heat of the day. This woman was at the well because she was not accepted in society. And she would go there by herself because the other women knew her reputation, would talk about her. So she had to go to the well when nobody else was there. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And so Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And so I've told you, Jesus seeks. Jesus initiates the conversation with her. Jesus starts the conversation with her. Now listen, let me tell you something. If this is your first time with us this weekend, or maybe you came to see someone get baptized, and, and, or maybe you've never been in church before, and for some reason you came, and let me tell you something, you are welcomed here, and we are glad you are here. But let me tell you this, you are not here by accident. Jesus seeks. And Jesus seeks people, whether it's through relationships, whether it's through situations, whether it's through church, whether it's through the advertising, whether it's through the big events that we do in the community. But Jesus seeks to have a relationship with you. Jesus seeks in such a way so that your life will intersect with his and it will be changed forever. And so he sows. He, he, he starts the conversation. Now listen, she's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. He's a man. She's a woman. And he initiates the conversation. He says, well, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And so the Samaritan woman was shocked. And she said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? I'm a woman. And maybe you're not aware of this. I'm from Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now listen, verse 9 is like this understatement of the whole story. In 1727 B.C., the Jews were overtaken or they were captured by the Assyrians. And they were captured by the Assyrians and they were placed in concentration camps. They were placed in prison camps. And then for several years, slavery and starvation and all of this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, the Syrians released the Jews, and they let the Jews go. And so the Jews go back to Jerusalem, and they go back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, when the Jews get there, they're shocked because they realize that not all of the Jews left. Not all of the Jews were captured. The fact is, there were some Jews that were left behind. And these Jews that left behind compromised their faith. They intermarried with the pagans. They not only intermarried with the pagans, but they began to adapt, and they began to take on the religious customs of the pagans. And as a result, when the Jews came back, 
and realized that there was this group of Jews that intermarried and all this other stuff. They considered them a despised race because they had intermarried. And they would have nothing to do with them. Maybe hard for us to believe, but they wouldn't even allow them to go to church with them. Let me tell you something. This is a religious barrier. A religious barrier is a, it's a man-made barrier. It's not God-made. And this group of people, they despise the Samaritans. They despise this group of people. And so since they couldn't worship with them, they went and they settled in a place called Samaria where they began to worship. And so a good Jew would not even travel through Samaria because they deemed it unclean because of the people that lived there. And they hated the people from Samaria. I mean, it'd be like us having an issue with Colorado Springs. And we have to travel to Denver. But we hate Springs. And so as a result of that, we go to Canyon City and up to Breckenridge and then over to Denver. That'd be crazy, right? You've got to understand the extent of the hatred that this group of people had for the Samaritans. That's one reason that I love verse 4 so much when it said Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? Because he seeks. It wasn't because of the geographical necessity. It was because there was a woman there. And there was a woman there that desperately needed an encounter from him. The reason that he seeks and the reason that he seeks you and the reason that he seeks me is because he knows that we desperately need an encounter from him. And so the, the, the Samaritans, they weren't allowed to go worship with the Jews, and they couldn't worship, and the Jews wor- worshiped on Mount Zion. And so the Samaritans, you know what they did? They said, well, we're going to worship, and so they started wor- worshiping on Mount Gerizim. Now listen, the, the, and so then, then all of a sudden there were the, like these worship wars about where's the best place to worship. And so the Samaritans, they, you know what, they would kind of reinvent, recreate history to kind of justify where they worship. And so they started saying things, well, well, Mount Gerizim is much better to worship than Mount Zion. We'll let you have Mount Zion, but we got Mount Gerizim because Mount Gerizim is where, where uh, God got the dust to create Adam. Mount Gerizim is a place where Noah's Ark landed. Mount Gerizim is the place where Abraham offered up his son Isaac to the Lord. Now, that was an exaggeration, but they were just trying to prove their point. They were trying to justify that their place was better. Here, people do that all the time, right? In our world, that our church is much better than your church. And so Jesus meets this woman, this Samaritan woman, a despised race, in a very judgmental world, and her life was not a life of moral purity. Fact is, the scripture tells us she had been married five times. The man that she's living with currently is not her husband. She's not married to him. No self-righteous Pharisee would be caught talking to this woman in public. Never forget, many years ago, I get a call from a man in Colorado Springs. I'd never met him. He introduced himself to me and told me who he was. And he said, listen, he says, it's kind of odd that I'm calling you, but I got a friend and, um, and, and this friend of mine, she uh, said, I don't even know how to put it, 
but she's an exotic dancer, and she dances at some of the men's clubs in Colorado Springs. And so she's been doing that for a number of years, and that's her profession. And, and, and so her life has kind of fallen on hard times. I mean, she's really hit rock bottom in her life. Everything that she put her hope in, everything that has just kind of fallen out. And so here's the deal. One Sunday morning, she could not sleep. And so she was listening on the radio, and she happened to hear a sermon that you were preaching. And she kind of connected with that. She kind of connected with you. And it kind of opened her up to maybe she should look at some spiritual things. And because of her profession, because she's a dancer, she doesn't feel comfortable coming to church, and she doesn't feel comfortable meeting you in your office. So my question is, is would, would you mind, would you be willing to drive to Springs and have dinner alone with this exotic dancer? I said, absolutely. So I drove up to Colorado Springs alone, had dinner with this woman for two to three hours, and I found her to be very open to spiritual things. Stop right there. That never happened. But while I was telling the story, I sensed the tension in this room. At first you laugh like, no way. And then I told you, way. And you could be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor Charlie, what are you doing meeting with an exotic dancer at a restaurant alone? I could push back. I said, well, wait a minute, what about Jesus and the immoral woman? He met with her alone. And you could push back and say, yeah, but he's like trustworthy. <laughs> Might be true. But you see, you see the tension in the community. See, they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know at this point that Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't know that. They didn't get that. And yet Jesus was willing to meet with this woman of a despised race. And he enters into a conversation with her. And the conversation is just so fascinating. I want you to see the different barriers because there, there, there are man-made religious barriers that are evil, that are wrong. Jesus Christ is no respecter of persons. That's why I believe he had to go to Samaria. That's why I believe that's in there in verse 4. He wanted to say that I am no respecter of persons, that I understand it is a soul and a soul that needs me and a soul that needs salvation. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away, so he's alone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it? So she's in shock because he's asked her for a drink, remember? And so she's, he's in, she's in shock. How is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know, she was identifying a racial barrier. Let me tell you something. Religious barriers, racial barriers are evil. Racial barriers are man-made, not God-made. Jesus doesn't even address it. You know why? Because it's not an issue to him. Because it is not his barrier. You see, for Jesus, 
When you study the life of Jesus, Jesus never let culture, he never let race, he never let social status, he never let religion or gender keep him from offering salvation to everyone. See, Jesus understood it's not a, it's a soul that needs a relationship with me. See, see the, she's even shocked because he not only asked her for a drink, the scripture says he drank out of her container. A Jew wouldn't even touch a Samaritan because they were deemed unclean. And now he drinks after her, which a Jew would consider that it'd be like demon-polluted water. And he begins having a conversation with her on a spiritual level, not a, not a physical level. We're going to understand that. So the first thing is this, is he seeks He seeks every one of us, and he seeks to have a relationship with us that brings us freedom, that brings us forgiveness from the past, that allows us to have a fresh start. But the second thing is this. He not only seeks, but the Scripture says he saves. And so watch verse 10. So Jesus answered her. Well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, stop right there. So she's confused. Okay? And you're going to understand this. Watch. Well, let's just read the next one. Then the woman said to her, said to him, Sir, you have nothing to drink water with, and the well is deep. And where do you get that living water? So you know what? She's not tracking with him. Why? He's talking about the spiritual, and she's thinking about the physical. See, she doesn't have a spiritual mind. That's why when you talk to your friends or you talk to relationships, you can talk to family members or some coworkers or some people you go to school with, people in your neighborhood and you talk to them about spiritual things, and you're kind of shocked they're not tracking with you, they can't track with you. Why? Because their mind is on the physical, not the spiritual. See, Jesus is talking about spiritual level. And she's trying, she's trying to get this. She's trying to figure this out. Because she's thinking the physical, and he's thinking the spiritual. And Scripture says that he saves. And so he says, well, and she says, well, where do, where, where do you get this living water? In verse 12, are you greater? Do you think you're greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. And so she's having trouble tracking with him. But listen, let me tell you something. When you talk to your friends about Christ, when you talk about your friends with a relation, when you talk to them about spiritual things, don't get down the physical. They will always try to try to force you or steer the conversation because because they don't have a spiritual mind. That's why the scripture says, believers, keep your mind on things, what? Above and not below. And understand when you're talking to someone that is not a follower of Christ, cut them some slack and help them instead of judging them. Say, hey, why don't you get this? And understand that they can't get this because their whole frame of reference is the physical. And she couldn't understand what Jesus was saying because... She was thinking of the physical. And Jesus is trying to help her, to help her to understand that. And if you could just understand, this world will not satisfy. See, only he satisfies. He seeks, he saves, he satisfies. And so what he's trying to get this woman to understand is this. You thought this world satisfies? Can I tell you that? And can I tell you this, ma'am? This world will always leave you wanting more. This world will always leave you thirsty. You thought you could find happiness in five husbands and none of them could give you happiness. 
You went from relationship to relationship to relationship thinking, you know what, the next one will meet my needs and make me happy. See, this world will always leave you. I don't care how much success you have. I don't care how much power you have. I don't care how much pleasure you're able to have. This world will always leave you empty and it will only leave you, leave you wanting more. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy. So he goes on, verse 13, So Jesus said to her, who, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about life. So he touches the physical. He says, ma'am, i got to tell you, this life, it's like drinking salt water. It's not going to satisfy. But whoever drinks of the water spiritual that, that I will give him will, will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up. In the Greek, that means like leaping up. That means like overflowing and talking about into eternal life. Jesus Christ is talking about a life with him. Jesus Christ is talking about abundant life. 36 times in the book of John, Jesus begins talking about this water. He begins talking about salvation. And there's something about Jesus when you have a relationship with him that he keeps on satisfying, right? There's something about his word. The Bible tells that his word is living and active. And you can hear the same scripture over and over and over. But when you hear that scripture, something wells up inside of you, right? You know what that is? That's the presence of God. That's the spirit of God that wells up. That's why you can life journal and you can read through the Bible every year and there's these scriptures and, and you may have heard them a thousand times and you read it and all of a sudden something wells up inside of you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Do not become weary in doing good. For you will reap a harvest at the proper time if you don't give up. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Isn't there something when you just hear his word? And you hear those scriptures over and over. That something just leaps up or wells up. That's the presence of God. That's the spirit of God for Christ's Father. But it's not only with his word. It's in worship too, right? That you can hear the same song over and over and over and something wells up inside of you, the presence of God. Something just, something just satisfies, something just encourages you. This last week, Pastor Chad and I, we went out and, um, well, we went out to get a sandwich. 
uh, if you say it like the Duck Dynasty boys. And so we went out to get a sandwich, and uh, we're having a sandwich together, and uh, all of a sudden, one of the, one of the one of the ladies that works there, a college student, she came running up to us and recognized who we are, and so she introduced herself. And let me just stop right there and tell you, if you see me out in public in a restaurant or wherever, and you recognize me, and, and you know what? Usually I recognize faces. I don't always recognize, uh, I don't always remember names. But in, and you want to introduce yourself, don't feel like you're invading on my privacy or anything. I'd love to meet you. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to me. It is not a bother to me. I welcome that. And so we're, we're, we're at this restaurant, and we're having lunch. And so she comes up, and she says, she says you, you guys probably don't know who I am, but I've been coming to the church. And I mean, she's hyper. I've been coming to church for this long. And, and so she looks at Chad and says, oh, Chad, i got to tell you, there is a song you sing, and it's like my favorite song, and you know I'd like to request it, and I know once a week is way too much because that'd be boring, but you know what? I don't think once a month is too much to ask. If you could like sing that song once a month, it'd just be okay with me, and we still don't know the name of the song, and she's just, she's just going on, and we're just looking at her. She, this is my favorite song. Something happens when you sing that song. Something happens when we sing that song together. We're like, well, what song is it? And she says, Come Thou Found. When you sing, when we sing that song, Come Thou Fount Together, something wells up inside of me. It's the Spirit of God that He satisfies when you have a relationship with Him. And the story goes on, so verse 15, So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this drink of water. So here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is leading her to make a decision, the same thing that He did with the religious man, Nicodemus. See, Christianity is not something that someone makes a decision for you. You are not born a Christian. It's a decision that you and I have to make. It's not something that someone else can do for you. And whether it's Nicodemus or whether it's the woman at the well, or it's the two men that we're going to look at next week who lost all hope and they're in deep discouragement, Jesus, again, leads them. where You've got to make a decision, so he's leading her to make a decision. So the woman says, well, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come here and draw water. Now, she's not still totally tracking, but she's getting there. And then Jesus does this very strange thing. He confronted her with her life. He confronted her with her sin. And it may seem unpleasant to do so. Verse 16, so Jesus said to her, and I love the tact. I love the love that Jesus had for her. He says, go call your husband and... Just go call your husband and come here. Now that statement wasn't to make her feel guilty. It wasn't to embarrass her. But it was to help her understand how needy she was. It was to help her to understand that this life has left her empty. This life has left her thirsty. Jesus, listen, Jesus was forcing her to admit her sin. To acknowledge, to own her stuff. Listen, let me just tell you, biblical truth. There cannot be conversion without conviction. People first have to be offended before they can get saved. Listen, not everybody understands that. And, I mean, I'm so proud of this church, and you guys invite so many people to church. It's just, like, unbelievable. The number one reason people attend church here at Fellowship the Rockies is because someone from our church invited them. But occasionally we have someone, they invite a friend, and so they catch me out in the foyer. They go, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Charlie, we've got a friend here. You're not going to believe this. I mean, we never believed this person would ever come to church, so we've got to ask you, don't mess it up. <laughs> right? 
Oh, Pastor Charlie, I'm just so nervous. You know what? Just, just be funny. Tell a bunch of jokes. Bring the funny. Just tell some jokes. Just make it light. Make it easy. Oh, Pastor Charlie, don't make them uncomfortable. Please don't make them uncomfortable. Don't say anything controversial. I'm just so nervous. I want them to like it, and I want them to come back. Now, let me tell you something. There can never be conversion without conviction. That's why a lot of times family members have problems with friends and other family members when they talk to them about spiritual things because they never want to make them uncomfortable. They never want to hold them accountable. They just want to tell them the easy stuff or easy believism. Let me tell you something. Easy believism, positive thinking, never saved anyone. The greatest thing that could happen when you bring a friend is people understand that this life will always leave you wanting more. This life will leave you empty. So verse 17, so the woman answered him, and you can tell that this is a touchy subject because it's like a four-word answer, and she says, I have no husband. Now, love the tact of Jesus. Jesus didn't go, ant lion. You're not telling the truth. He said, you're right in saying, I have no husband. So he's finding common ground, verse 18, for you've had five. And the one now you have is not your husband. And she says, well, what you have said is, is true. So Jesus forced this woman to admit where she was. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, so you know what she's doing now? She's deflecting. You ever talk to someone about Christ? You ever talk to someone about following God? And so they bring up the controversial subjects, Right? So she's bringing up the, you know what she's doing? And it's what people do. When people get convicted, when people get uncomfortable, they try to get the focus off their choices, the focus off their lifestyle, and own to something else. It's safe. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So, so it's like when you talk to someone about visiting your church, or you talk to someone about Christianity or whatever, they say, well, wait a minute, let me, let me tell you something. You may believe in that God, but I don't. You answer me this question, Okay. Why do bad things happen to good people? You answer that one for me. I mean, I, I've known some people, and they were in church every week, and they were religious, and they were good, and they, they served. and I mean, they were like good people. And some bad stuff happened to them. You answer, answer me that. Or they may move to another controversial subject. Say, so, well, what's your stance on marriage? What do you think about abortion? How about... How about those kids in Africa that may never hear the gospel, and when they die, what happens to them? Or how about evolution? You believe in evolution, you believe in creation. You ever had those discussions? Listen, never get down on the physical with them. Because here, here's what's happening. They want to stay in the physical. You want to stay in the spiritual and when you look at Jesus' life, he didn't really debate because there's answers for every one of those. But if you are not spiritually minded, they will never be able to grasp them. They're just trying to get the focus off of their life. Listen, I'm sure it doesn't surprise you, but I believe that every bit of the Bible is true. So I believe that the Bible teaches, and it does teach, in creation. And so there's some Christians that will try to marry the two together and say, well... God may have created it, but then evolution came in and they try to marry it together. But the Bible never touches that, never teaches that. 
Fact is, just some little thoughts. This is just for free. Evolution at its core is racial. Because evolution at its roots and its core says some races are more evolved than others. Evolution is unconstitutional. Our Constitution does not say we evolved into the image of God. It says we were created. Evolutionary scientists can't believe that God created something out of nothing, yet believe in a universe that did the same. It takes more faith. See, there's answers for every one of those. We walk through all of them. But Jesus kept in the spiritual. Verse 21, so Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship. He seeks. He seeks people to save them. He seeks people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And now all of a sudden she starts tracking and says, wait a minute, we're talking about spiritual things. And Jesus said to her, now listen, this statement is so amazing. This is the only time before his arrest that he admitted directly that he's the Messiah. He didn't admit that to the religious guy Nicodemus. He admits this as this immoral woman at the well. And he says, you're right, I am he who speaks to you. Verse 27, then the disciples came back, and they marveled. In other words, they, the word in the Greek, they're, they're astounded, they're shocked. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and away into town and said to people, come, see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can he be the Christ? So all of a sudden, he's given her a fresh start, and she has enthusiasm, and she has passion. The fact is, she has it to the level that she's exaggerating. Jesus didn't tell her everything she had ever done. He told her a few things. Verse 30, then they went out of town and were coming to him. So now all of a sudden, she goes back, and she witnesses and tells them about Christ, and they're bringing the whole town back. Verse 39, many Samaritans. From that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because he told me all I ever did. And so now all of a sudden this town has her excitement. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many believed because of his... Many believed because of his word. So here's the question in closing that I have for you. Every scripture is in the Bible for a reason. Every story is in the Bible for a reason. When you read the Bible, when you read Scripture, you have to ask yourself, why is it there? Why was this verse, why were these verses, why was this story kept, recorded for thousands of years? And so why is this story there? And the other question I have, what was about this woman's testimony that she could go back to town, she was immoral, she was, she was despised, all of those other things, and people... The town has changed. What is it about her testimony? What did she say to them? Because the disciples came back. Did you get this? The disciples came back. They brought no one. 
telling you, the longer that you're a believer, the harder it is for you to invite people. The longer that you live as a believer, the less and less lost people that you have around you because whatever reason. Listen, if you don't have lost friends around you, you need more friends. Telling you. So this woman goes back in and it's in 29. I'll just tell it to you. Her testimony was this. I met someone who knew everything I've ever done. And he still loved me. I met the Messiah. I met God. Who knows every stupid decision, every choice, every do-over. He knows everything about me. And he still loves me. And he still desires to have a relationship with me. Do you realize every one of us that knows Christ has that testimony? That there's a God that knows everything about you. And he still loves you.